So we are in a series that we are calling Performing, Performing Faith. And the, the impulse for this series is that we want to communicate to everyone, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that being a Christian or Christianity itself is not just a system of beliefs, but rather it's how we live our lives. And if living our lives doesn't somehow flow from those beliefs, then really are those beliefs even worth having, right? Um, we might call it belief uh, embodied in performance. What we do, what we say, how we act, how we move and live in this world, it, is, uh, it has to flow from our, our beliefs. Otherwise, our beliefs are kind of meaningless. And uh, so we've been going through this series, and, and this series stems from... Um, uh, interactions with a lot of people. Uh, Colin uh, Murphy actually is one of the people, and Mark Lytle are some of the people who inspired um, my doctoral work. Uh, and then this is kind of a sermon series based off of that. Um, I've discovered, so this is maybe a little less, th- this morning's maybe a little less of a sermon, a little more of me kind of vomiting thoughts on you. <laughs> Which is a gross way of putting it, but... Uh, I find that as I get older, I actually am less sure about a lot of things. I find that I have a lot more questions. Um, I don't think that's how it's supposed to work, but it's how it's working anyway. Uh, and, and a lot of my questions have to do with, what is it that God wants from me? What does God really want? Like, to me, that's a really important question. If there is a God who created the entire universe... There's a God who loves us so much that he sent his son, as the scriptures say, to, to die. And uh, he's preserved Christians for 2,000 some odd years. And even before that, working through the Jewish people. There is a God who has such an immense capacity of forgiveness and love and grace. I want to know what his heart is. And if there is a God who will judge me based on his conception of what is the good, the beautiful, and the true, it is even more incumbent because I really don't want to be cast out into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, but rather I want to be brought into the house of the Lord and there dwell in his presence with his people forever. And so what does God want? What does God want? And so what we have done through this series is we have gone through the scriptures and we have isolated what happens the most. What do people do the most? What does God command people to do the most? We've talked about prayer. We've talked about blessing. And this morning we are going to talk about sacrifices and burnt offerings. How exciting. But you can't get very far in the Bible. If you, if you open the scriptures up, you don't get very far at all before you run into sacrifices and offerings. It's like page four of your Bible. And Cain and Abel, the, the, the first children from Adam and Eve, they've built an altar. Why? Well, that, yeah, 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 yeah. But that, we don't, that God doesn't say that God told them to do it. Just all of a sudden... We have them building altars and sacrifice. Why? Where does this come from? And, and we see this then move throughout Scripture, this, this, this impulse that we have, whether, um, whether commanded by God or not, there's an impulse that we have that recognizes that God has given something great to us and that if you love God, you give back. Makes sense, right? Valentine's Day is how far Two weeks? 
Somebody ought to remind me. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, we, we have this impulse. Carrie, whatever. It doesn't matter. But we have this impulse to give one another gifts, right? In terms of love. Like, we, this is a human thing that we have. And if we love God, there's this impulse to give back. And one of the interesting stories, one of my uh, favorite stories, which um, says a lot about me, <laughs> uh, is a story from Genesis. It's a story that, uh, that tells about Abraham and his son, Isaac. And God comes to Abraham after having made this promise, not only will uh, you have a son, but you'll be the father of all of these people. So many people that can't even be counted. And God comes to Abraham and he says, okay, you remember that promise that I made you? Yeah, I remember that promise. And remember the son that I gave you as a fulfillment of that promise? Yeah, I remember. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah. And offer him as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. What do you do if you're Abraham? What a strange thing. Now, now part of it is, uh, as we sort of might be, um, might hear kind of a, a ravening atheist who says, like, what an evil, horrible God. But you have to remember that everyone around Abraham did that all the time. Like, that was one of the primary ways you worshipped gods. You would take your firstborn son, and you would lay him on an altar, you would kill him, and you would burn him. And that was how you showed that God that you loved them. So, God comes to Abraham and says this, and for Abraham, it probably wouldn't have sounded that bizarre. It would have been like, well, this is what God sometimes asks their followers to do. But... Everything is at risk in this. Like, Abraham's, at this point, over 90, probably not kicking out another kid, right? We're probably done here. Like, this is it. Like, you, everything is on the line. All the promises that God has made to him and all of the hope and joy and love that he feels over this son, now God is saying, I want you to end it. I want you to destroy that thing that you love best. And the story goes that Abraham goes to do just that. And God stays his hand. God stays his hand, which tells us something very important about sacrifices and offerings as they go on, as we trace this story through Scripture. It tells us that God is not that interested in the sacrifice itself, but rather what the sacrifice represents. And what does the sacrifice represent? It represents that Abraham trusts God with such depth and meaning that he believes that somehow, even if he slays his son, even if he kills the one that, through whom all of God's promises are going to be delivered, God will still find a way to be faithful. His allegiance to God is that total, and the sacrifice shows it. It represents it. When we think about what God wants, sacrifices and offerings are front and center. Huge sections, whole chunks of the Bible talk about all of the details of how they are to perform these rituals. And if they don't perform these rituals, their relationship with God is fundamentally broken. And so these things that God is telling them to do seem very important. They seem like the very thing that God wants. And it progresses, as you know, through the story of Scripture until we get to a temple, right? And, and these are happening all the time, all the time, all the time. But it, it, it occurs to me that as I think about this, as I think about uh, these things of sacrificing animals, there is the surface, and then there is the depth. And the depth is the question, what will you give up for God? 
What will you sacrifice for God? How far will you go for God? What has being a Christian, let's put it in kind of our own context, what has being a Christian cost you? Because there's, a, there, there's, a, there's all of these things that are happening, and you can imagine the great cost of having to go to the temple or go to the tabernacle or wherever they were doing it and taking part of what they worked for, their blood, their sweat, their tears, and the crops that they brought in or the animals that they had raised and putting that on an altar and burning it before the Lord. That costs them something. In fact, David, there's this great little story in 2 Samuel 24 and give it, even give it to you here. This is a quote from David. David uh, is, is, um, is going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And so he stops in this place and he asks the person who is there if he might have some um, of his oxen to sacrifice. And the man says, well, you're the king. I'll give you anything you want. Just take what you want. And David says this. He says, no, no, I will buy it for a price I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. What a thought. And so it just occurs to me as I think of these things that we see all the time in Scripture, God commanding and people doing, what what does Christianity cost me? What does following God cost me? What have I given? Sacrifices don't seem to be the underlying point. As Hosea famously says in Hosea 6, 6. In fact, Jack alluded to it in his passage that he shared as well. For I desire steadfast love. And if you remember with me, this word steadfast love is a Hebrew word that means ches, or is, is chesed. And what it means is to incl- it includes both uh, affection and allegiance. I require your affection. I require your allegiance. That is what I'm after. And I've done all of these things. I've given you all of these animal sacrifices so that you could demonstrate in some kind of tactile, some kind of real way. Listen, God, I really do love you. And it's cost you something. But what is underneath, what is the deeper section of that is this. Does God mean everything? That's the question. A knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Are we willing to, as Jack uh, read, are we really to love God with our whole being and to love the person next to us that maybe we don't even like as ourselves? Because all the sacrifices should have drawn them to ask those deep questions, but we know from Scripture it didn't. They missed it. They missed it. They missed the depth that was there. They're busy arguing about the minutiae. They're arguing about the laws. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, you've missed it. It's not the laws. It's mercy. It's steadfast love. It's a knowledge of God. It's loving your neighbor. It's giving everything. Like, that's what this is about, guys. And we get caught up in arguing about lots of different things. And often miss that big picture More of that depth, though, is that Jesus comes. And as Hebrews puts it, Jesus is the sacrifice once for all. And this is why Christians, for those of you who are are a little bit new to the faith, this is why Christians don't keep the laws that we have in the Old Testament, sacrificing animals here and there, and don't pour wine out on the altar. We don't wave stalks of grain. We don't do these different things that they did. Jesus was it. 
He came and he bridged that great chasm between us and God and brought us together into one people and initiated us into one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians. And he brings those of us who are far away from God close to God and those of them who are near to God closer to God. And there's this new, incredible access to God that we've never had before because of Jesus. And all of those offerings become meaningless when we look at the depth that we have there. And so then we ask the question in the New Testament, well then what do sacrifices and offerings look like for us? What did it look like for them? Does God still want us to sacrifice? And the answer is, of course, no and yes. Right? No, we don't give sacrifices. Jesus was the once-for-all sacrifice. Now we have been initiated into this mysterious, deep thing called the Spirit of God who is dwelling in us and moving through us, and leading us, and guiding us, and directing us. And so we have new passages that come forward. For instance, from Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. As the children of God. Imitate him. And walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And so Jesus becomes, in this text, the pattern by which we now pattern our lives. Jesus lays down his life. He sacrifices himself in this great act of mercy and love. And he says, now, if you would follow me, what does he say? Take up your cross. And you become, as we'll see in a few minutes, a living sacrifice. Jesus puts it this way himself in John. John 15. Greater, this is my commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, and greater love has no one than this, and they lay down their life. That they become the sacrifice. Just as Jesus was the sacrifice, he now invites us to participate in his own ministry, in his own life, in his own way of being in the world. And his way of being in the world is one that looks like a cross. This is why Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, and this is your spiritual service of worship. This is how you demonstrate to God that you love him. Do you want to worship God? Yes. Then how do you do it? You perform as a living sacrifice. And that just, that just stinks. Doesn't it? I mean, it's a whole lot easier when we can just turn to Leviticus and say, all right, what's the law say? Okay, um, yeah, I did that wrong. I guess I better go and make my sacrifice at the, at the altar for, with the priest, and then I go home and I just go about my day. I mean, it's clear. It's, it's, it's black and white, and I know what I'm supposed to do. And here we are moving in the world, and Paul says, well, be a living sacrifice. Well, great, thanks. What does that mean? But the Bible is clearly confusing (laughs) in that we are told to hold on to the Spirit and that somehow the Spirit will guide us and hold on to one another because you will guide me and I will guide you as we work out our faith. Everything Everything gets a little more difficult because of Jesus. Because the surface is easy, right? The law is easy. You either did it or you didn't. 
But the depth of following God, that is far more tricky. In fact, we have a word for that. We call it discipleship. And so what does it mean to look like a living sacrifice? I want to give you some just some clues. Like this is kind of what some passages that, that speak about it, um, which will kind of get us started maybe. And then I want to land um, with uh, something that I've been practicing and I've seen some success with. And, and I want to share it with you, and, and maybe it'll be helpful for you as well. Is that good? All right, so here's some, here are some passages. Revelation uh, 5.8. So when they would sacrifice, in the Old Testament, you can imagine kind of an altar made of stone. And they would either take a, some sort of animal that would have been you know, killed, and they would have probably burned parts of it, parts of the fat or the body. Um, they would have poured wine or liquor sometimes on it as well. They would have burned grain. They had bowls, golden bowls that had incense in it, and they would light that, and the incense would go up. Especially the incense was lit in the, in the tabernacle uh, in the morning and in the after or in the evening. And here, Revelation has an image. And I, I don't want to get too deep into that imagery. If you want to get deep into that imagery, you can take the 401 Revelation class I'll be teaching in a couple of weeks. Um, but Revelation says this, has all the, these living creatures and these elders, they're all sort of before the Lamb, before Jesus, and each of them has a harp and a golden bowl, and the bowl is full of incense, but the incense is not really incense at all. The incense is the prayers of the saints. So the offerings that they used to give that were incense, the, these physical, tactile, smelling good things, now the scripture says, no, it's your prayers And here I don't just mean any kind of prayer. I mean, you got on your knees. You intentionally thought about somebody else in this room. And you said, this person needs, Matt needs help. Help Matt, Lord. Please help Matt. I'm just picking on Matt. And I don't know why. Did you need help? Don't, Don't answer that. It's fine. So our prayers, as we've been talking about uh, the past couple weeks, our prayers function as a way of sacrificing to God. You've turned off Netflix, and you pray. You stop your family, and you pray. You show up late to the practice or the game, the soccer game on Saturday morning, because you decided to pray. You sacrifice your time to pray. We tend to pray when it's convenient to us, don't we? We tend to pray when it's convenient to us. But if prayer is a sacrifice then think about it that way this week. What sacrifice of time can I give to my church body, to my brothers and sisters, and to my God in prayer? Hebrews jumps on this as well and expands the idea a bit. Hebrews 13, uh, 15 through 18, or 16 says this, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So this might be prayers, this might be songs, this might just be, thank you God, it's 38 degrees. It could be anything like that where we are about and out and about in the world, and on our lips is the glorious name of Jesus Christ. And people hear that, and they see you, And you reflect that love, that goodness, that kind of thing where we're loving God with our whole body and we're loving our neighbors ourselves. And you say, praise the Lord. And they're like, well, they really mean it because they embody Christ in some way. Does that make sense? The sacrifice of praise to our God. We have actually stopped. We turned off uh, uh, Lady Gaga. I don't know why I thought of that. Whatever it is that you listen to that's uh, second, the doors. I don't know, whatever. Whatever you crazy people listen to. We turned that off. 
to sing praises to God. We have sacrificed. I would rather listen to the Beatles, but today we're going to listen to songs about Jesus. Whatever. We sacrificed that thing that we wanted and desired, and instead we turned it toward God. People take note of that. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And this is one of the reasons why tithing, giving to the church, and giving to other ministries uh, sacrificially is so important. That is one of the ways, when it hurts your wallet, it hurts, doesn't it? When the bill comes and it's more than you thought it was, how many of you are chipper about it? Right? Right? We're all like, oh man, that hurts. When's the last time you gave in such a way that it hurt? That you had to skip a meal or you had to skip something. You, you, had, you had to make it up in some other way. We can sacrifice to God by sharing with others. And I hate this line right here. I'm, we can be honest in church, right? To do good. It's so obscure, isn't it? What does it mean to do good? It's so tricky. I think that's why there's so many questions that I have. What does it look like for us to be good, to do good? There are uh, uh, roughly, if you'll allow me to sort of round numbers out, 50,000 residents in Portage. Roughly, a little less than half identify as Christians. So let's call it 25,000. There are 25,000 Christians in Portage. Let's take that in. 25,000 Christians in Portage. Do you believe that? Does it feel like that? Are we part of the problem? Are we part of the answer? Peter has this. It's a beautiful passage. I'll read it in its entirety. And I just want you to take that in and think about this. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander, and like newborn infants, which is intense, right? How many of you have seen a newborn infant who's hungry? <laughs> is, there, is there anything more intense in life than a newborn in, in, infant who is hungry, and you're taking too long to heat that bottle? Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. As you come to him, the living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God Through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for you who don't believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a rock of stumbling and offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so, my beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and keep your conduct among unbelievers so honorable that when they speak against you as an evildoer, they are still forced to declare your good deeds and to glorify God when they see the truth in his return. Now I just imagine a city of 25,000 people who take that as their life goal. Wow. So, let's take that as our life goal. And to make this a, a way of being in the world, as Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice. Your body is a holy temple, a holy temple. And as you move in the world, you are a living, moving, breathing holy temple acceptable to God, and this is your spiritual worship. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And testing, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, so that we might know what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so here is how I have been applying this. Because I want to know what is good, and I want to know what is acceptable, and I want to know what is perfect. And that is the will of God. And that's what I want out of my life. And so this is what I've been doing, and and maybe it will be helpful for you. Uh, Soul searching. And by soul searching, I I mean not only... um, I don't just mean sitting and thinking about my day or something. But I mean really asking the question. So when I pray... I pray this, God, I am know that I am wrong. Please show me. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where I've been, I've been cruel. Or I've, just show me what I've done, what I need to work on, where I need to move. And God is good and gracious, and he keeps on showing me how terrible I am. <laughs> and he keeps on showing me new ways. And as I have been praying this prayer... Um, and working through this with some other resources, thinking about this, I see places in my life where I have the impulse to be a jerk, because that's one of my sins. And I am able to at least pull it back and not be a jerk. And sometimes that's just the victory of the day. <laughs> this is the more important one, though, right here. Friend asking. And I tried to, you know, get the, get the ing there, huh? That's a preacher trick. Teach you that in school. <laughs> I have been asking people who are who I'm close with, people who I uh, who can who know me, uh, where am I wrong? Where am I rude? Where am I inconsiderate? Where where am I missing something in my walk with God? What do you see in me? Because we are so frequently blind to our own errors. We so frequently think we are better than we are that sometimes, in fact, maybe most times, my praying won't actually touch that because I'm so blind to it, I wouldn't see it if God held it up in my face. But y'all can do that. Some of you have done it very well. 
Thank you. I have never been a part of any organization that lies as much as church lies. We lie to each other so much, it's embarrassing. We offend each other, and we just brush it under the rug. We see each other's sins. We pretend like it's not there. Oh, it's just him. That's just the way he is. No. You've got to tell him. You've got to tell her. You've got to say, hey, listen, that was, that was unkind. That was inconsiderate. That was rude. You should stop that. We, we should be, what did the Bible say? We're iron sharpening iron, right? Well, you're not going to change unless somebody tells you you suck. You're not going to change until somebody confronts you, and it's going to hurt It's going to hurt. But I think the Bible called us sacrifices. And being a sacrifice isn't easy. But if we really, really want to dig deep and grow in our faith, then we have to do some work, y'all. And we have to begin to speak the truth. We have to begin asking questions from God and asking questions of each other and pressing in on one another. If we are going to be living sacrifices, holy and pure, then we need to expose our sins. Because by exposing our sins, we can receive forgiveness and we can put them aside. But if we continue to keep the skeletons in the closet, or we continue to let other people be blind to their own inconsistencies or insecurities, we will never be what we are called to be. so I want to be a living sacrifice I hope you want to be one too because I think there will be no better thing than on the day of judgment to hear God say Jordan you did good what will God say about me what will God say about you Let's think about these things and have those kinds of tough discussions as we leave this place. Let's stand and sing to our God.